Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. Open your Bibles to Jeremiah. We're going to start at chapter 1. Just have 52 to go. No, 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 I won't do that to you. But I do want you to keep your Bible close. The place that you see before you here on the slide is Auschwitz concentration camp. It was one of Nazi Germany's many extermination camps, and it's in the small complex in the middle of a city that bears its name. This uh, camp itself has now been converted into a haunting museum. It contains rooms full of shoes and luggage and human hair. Outside the city is Birkenau, another camp. You see the remaining brick chimneys of the barracks spread across a landscape of dreary sky and scorched earth. The gas chambers there boast over a million people led to their death in these two camps alone. These camps represent destruction and the measure of human depravity. The image seared in our memories of what mankind is able to do and what a maniacal leader is capable of. A shocking picture of what sin looks like up close and personal. These brick chimneys and stark landscape of death stand as a memorial to depravity. They remind us that there are lessons to be learned so that we not forget and repeat again the mistakes of the past. Now what you don't experience with these images are the sounds and the smells. The sounds of wailing of mothers for their children. The smell of death and the foreboding thoughts of each family as to what their future might hold. However, the Israelites did experience the sounds, the sights, and the smell as the smoldering ruins of Jerusalem sent a message to the people of Israel. And that message is clear. God is long-suffering and merciful. But rebellion against his rules will have consequences. The fall of Jerusalem in the book of Jeremiah remind us of the powerful nature of sin and the sacredness of God's holiness. Sin is that bad, and God is that holy. Among God's Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah is, in my opinion, one of the most helpful. He was, in the words of today, real. We witness the man's shortcomings as well as his successes. We witness his pain and his triumphs. We recognize a man who is somewhat like we are. Rather than being born amid lights and glamour, Jeremiah was born into obscurity. He did not belong to the elite, in contrast to maybe Isaiah. Unlike Jesus, who had angelic announcements and the visit by the Magi, he didn't have a ceremonial birth. Anatoth, the name of his hometown, was not well known like Jerusalem. It was more like a little town in Alabama than it was Seattle or Hollywood. Is there anything positive to come from Anatoth? Yes, indeed. The best things can sometimes be found in the most insignificant places. When God gives Jeremiah the word of God, 
It sets Jeremiah apart as the preacher of God's word. Even though he has been chosen and equipped with godly authority to speak God's word, he doesn't have an easy time of it. We read that. Jeremiah's ministry occurs during a difficult and depressing time. Southern Israel, now all that was left of united Israel, has deteriorated morally and politically. Southern Israel has had many opportunities to see what has happened to Samaria and make changes, but they never repent. Because the people fail to learn from history, they will suffer disgrace and exile. The people of Israel will ultimately and horribly experience the truth that God's word matters. Now what I want you to do right now, I'm going to ask you, is if you just take your Bible and you just open it to Jeremiah. And I want you to just to leave it on your table there in front of you as a reminder that these are the very words of God. They are not just one-dimensional words on a page. They are live and they are powerful. And then I want you to look at this old dead guy here. This is Charles Spurgeon. I, I love this man. Uh, he describes the word of God this way. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. All you have to do is let it loose and it, defend, it will defend itself. Another of my favorites is John Stott. He says, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thoughts and behavior. You see, God's word matters. God's word matters in the everyday. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make to you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls, and against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. God's mission for Jeremiah, to say it was going to be difficult, that's the classic understatement. Jeremiah's message would have both negative and positive effects. It would destroy and overthrow. It would build and plant. Jeremiah's preaching would be so offensive to those who took false comfort in his sin with the result of their own his own countrymen fighting against him. He suffered physical torture, beatings, he was imprisoned, left to die in mud, confined in stocks, abandoned to perish in a cistern, received the death penalty, charged with treason, attacked by a mob, and threatened by a king. He knew what it was like to be completely banished. He loved his family, but even they turned against him and conspired to end his life. In addition, he could not enter a home where a celebration was taking place. He was refused friendship and not allowed to be married. God's word matters. God's word matters in the trials and sufferings of life. Jeremiah cried out to the Lord, Why is my pain unending and my wounds grievous and incurable? Jeremiah came to the place of cursing the day of his birth and his prophetic call. And once in profound anguish, he uttered against God, O oh Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You were stronger than I, and yet you have prevailed. 
I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. But God reminds Jeremiah that he will be with him and deliver him. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Despite continual, unrelenting opposition from his people, Jeremiah remained faithful to God's call. He continued to prophesy until his death because God's promise to watch over his word. Jeremiah could be confident that the Spirit of God would guarantee and accompany his preaching to accomplish the Lord's intent. No temple visions here, no awe-inspiring deliverances from fiery pits for Jeremiah. Instead, you get the unadulterated emotional conflicts of a man who was chosen to bear the word of God to a stubborn and rebellious generation, and he was personally inclined to do it. Speaking God's word always comes with a cost, but his plan will always be accomplished. God's word matters. God's word matters because it's powerful. Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth, for it shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish all that I purpose and shall succeed in the thing that I sent it. Is that the best news? I love it. I love this verse. It reminds me of the sheer force, the authority, the supremacy that God's word has. God addresses us, his image bearers, with astonishing openness. And much like a poet, each word is carefully chosen, yet incredibly, in, incredibly significant and potent. No extra words, no frivolous phrases. God knows the meaning of every word in every language, both in heaven and in earth. He fully understands everything that has happened, past, present, and future, and to everyone it will happen to. He is 100% trustworthy and is always 100% right in everything he does and sovereignly ordains. If God's word had physical weight, then one of God's statements would weigh more than all the substance in the universe. Is not my word like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? God's word could crush the earth to powder. God's word matters. God's words matter even if you reject it, which is what the southern kingdom had done. They had rejected God's word in favor of their own arrogance and self-assuredness. God revealed his plan to Jeremiah. See, I have set before you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, and to overthrow, to build, and to plant. To pluck up and to tear down. Jeremiah will preach against sin. To destroy and overthrow, Jeremiah will announce judgment to build and to plant, promised restoration after punishment. Jeremiah's mission to Israel would not garner any popularity with the people, preaching against sin, proclaiming judgment, and finally announcing restoration. But that's often the case with God's truth. God's word matters. 
It teaches us about sin. This is the sin, breaking the covenant. This sin encompasses all the complaints the Lord had against Israel. Israel, the once devoted bride, has now become the faithless spouse, scorning God as her primary lover, forsaking God, serving her own desires and her own little gods. Have we heard that story before, right? Many times. Jeremiah repeatedly attempts to speak God's word to the people. His message is repent. To everyone, repent. Everywhere, repent. To the king, repent. To the magistrates and officials, repent. To the people, again, repent. I read somewhere the word repent was in Jeremiah over a hundred times. God directs, that, that makes it really seem important, right? God directs Jeremiah to go and preach repentance at the gate of the temple. Many people probably stopped and listened. And just as an aside, I don't know if you've ever been to San Antonio and there on the square. Sometimes, as, as we've been through the years, there's a man and he's always preaching and yelling about God's word. People just, you know, they just keep on going. They keep on doing. And I think that's what the people did. They may have stopped and listened a little bit, though they weren't really hearing the word of God. They were moving on to their errands. They were picking up their children from school and dropping off laundry and doing all those kinds of things. But they were oblivious to the threat or the belief of the coming obliteration. God's word matters. It reminds us that God judges sin. God will not allow continued, repetitive, unforgiven sin to escape his justice. He must act. He will act. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. Here's the temple. This verse seems to be expressing the people's hope that God would not permit the destruction of their magnificent temple. Each repetition becoming more vehement. They believed God would not dare to demolish this temple, their temple of worship, their place where they continued to worship, but did not repent. But God cares about the inside of our hearts more than what takes place inside this man-made temple. If our hearts are not right, then these things signify nothing to God. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. I hope that you choose to memorize these verses. These are great verses to keep in your heart hidden. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Jerusalem will fall. The city has been under siege for over a year. Sharp famine now has set in. It looks to only be a matter of weeks before the city must surrender to the siege of the Babylonian forces. There's no relief in sight. There's no one on the horizon to help them. The nation is facing perhaps the darkest hour in their history. The walls of the temple, the whole city will be razed to the ground. Those not killed will be taken captive, and all that will remain is ash and ruin. Jeremiah had spent four long decades trying to turn the nation from destruction and back to God. But nothing Jeremiah 
said or God said to the people made any difference. Yet, in the midst of destruction, agony, the burning smell of flesh, God still promises to help because mercy is always God's first impulse. God's word matters. He will redeem and restore. Jeremiah presents Israel's future to them after destruction in Jeremiah 30. For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall take possession of it. God first promises to restore the nation. Fear and despair will be replaced by hope. Israel's enemies will be destroyed. Jerusalem will be built, rebuilt, and a Jewish king will reign once more. Israel will be God's people once again. Everything, every part of society, worship, homeland, freedom, will all be redeemed. God will not rest until his word is thoroughly accomplished. I mean, do you feel the hope in that? Rising up for what God is doing for did for his exile people, we are that people. We are exiles in this land, and God has redemption waiting for us, restoration. Besides the new people, monarchy, and land, God is going to bring a new covenant. Now, this is the first mention of this new covenant that we see right here, and it's so exciting. So I'm going to ask you the question, what's so new about the new covenant? Well, I'm glad you asked, because God answered right here in Jeremiah 31. He, he has all the answers. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. We've talked about that. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Oh, what a phrase. Is that beautiful? Here is the new versus the old covenant, side by side. So you can plainly see. I've included that on your little guide there too. So you don't have to furiously write it down. Now have you ever used that phrase brand new? I do it a lot. I always get a lot of grief from my kids for using the words brand new. I don't know if anybody else does that. But you know the grocery stores, they like to use it. They like to use that slogan to try to convince us that there's this new product and it's certainly so much, much, much better than that old brand that we were using. After all, I mean, who wants an old inferior product when you can have something brand new? In Jeremiah, the new covenant doesn't exactly mean brand new. It means renewed, renovated, refreshed, and one more R built because I love alliteration, rebuilt. It's not like the old covenant was bad, but it was breakable, as we witnessed with the Israelites. Sometimes now we want to think the difference well might be law and grace, but I want you to think about it this way. When God made a covenant with Moses and brought the Israelites out of Egypt, well, that was grace. God had made a way for them to be what he said that they were, his people, the people of his own choosing. We are witnesses to Israel's ingratitude when they broke that covenant through their consistent disobedience to what they had agreed to, to love the Lord and obey, the, obey God with all of their hearts. 
God gave them grace in restoration. So it's more like grace versus grace. God's covenant has been renewed from God and my people to God and my children. Oh, that has such a, a, a familial intimacy to it, doesn't it? I love it. In Jeremiah 31, he says, And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus fulfilled every previous covenant. God's law will be written on our hearts by the blood of Christ, and the Holy Spirit will be given to live within us to transform and to change us. Old Testament believers had to put their hope in a gracious salvation promised. As New Testament believers, we put our faith in a gracious salvation fulfilled. Now you know that I've just got to take you somewhere else today. So we're going back to the Sermon on the Mount because I, I cannot get away from it. Um, this statement is from Christ right after the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus' words here were ensuring the law and the prophets received full obedience that is due, and to bring it completely to light the truest and deepest meaning of his words, living in Christ. God's word matters. It will be accomplished. Matthew 5.18 goes on to say, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. We've talked about God's new kingdom being shown to the, to the disciples through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Everything about living in God's kingdom is changed for us through the coming of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. The core of the Mosaic Law, murder, anger, lust, adultery, divorce, our speech, vengefulness, loving our enemies, Jesus is not replacing, but he's correcting the Mosaic Law. He's saying to his disciples, you have heard it said, but now I say it. Jesus speaks with authority. God will not force us to love and obey him. But his desire is that we would willingly choose to love and serve him. Every day we make a choice for whom we will serve. And we can only serve one master. There's one lamb for one man. Later at Passover, it will be one lamb for one family. At the Day of Atonement, it was one lamb for the nation. And finally, with Jesus, there was one lamb who takes away the sin of the whole world. Now, it's not as if these 52 chapters of words from Jeremiah was enough. But the man also managed to eke out lamentations. Um, I don't know how he did it, what he had left in him, but as we go on, I think we'll see. Um, he was called the weeping prophet. And if you've read any of Lamentations, you kind of get that idea. God inspired Jeremiah to lament in a way to help him process and to refocus on healing from the death and the chaos and destruction that he'd witnessed and experienced for 40 years that he'd been in ministry, that he'd prophesied to southern Israel. 
Jeremiah wanted generations to never forget the lessons from, their dark mo- from the dark moment in their history. The author of Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy describes lament as the path from heartbreak to hope. Today, Lamentations gives us the opportunity to lament, to cry out to God, to ask why. We get to, with the words of Lamentations, express our anguish in prayer to God by the means of God's own words. That's the best way. Lamentations demonstrates and gives us how to openly address God in our suffering in a way that honors and glorifies his name and brings comfort and peace to our hearts in personal tragedy and with the world headlines that we're facing this very day. Lamentations is a collection of poems. Yes, poems once again. I love it. But it's definitely not a resolved poem of goodness and love. No, Jeremiah's pain is very real and palpable as you read these lamentations. The best thing about Jeremiah is that he never leaves it there in pain and despair. He remembers God and he calls on the Lord for compassion, for encouragement to his heart. This next section here, kind of Amy, we talked about it before we, we sang this the song that we sang first, but I want you to sing this song with me, this old song. But it says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So let's sing together if you remember that song.